Hello and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper. With me, my human toilet is Claire Williams. Oh, I didn't really have oh, I mean, and it was really like, I, JL just brought it up, and I'm like, I'm just going to run with that. I think I'll take it as a compliment, because in the context of this film, that's a very compassionate thing to say. Um, yeah. uh, I, I, I love. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um... I a did, lot of love in this movie. I'm, I'm going to have to reject the role, unfortunately, um, <laughs> due to prior commitments and scheduling conflict. Um, but I appreciate your the consideration. I appreciate the offer, but I'm just going into I'm going into a different direction. So um, very polite of you. Yeah. To, yeah. No to, worries. Of yeah. course. I knew it yeah. came from a good place. So yeah. Um, it's hey. It's the thought that counts. Right. I'm just. Go, I, I yeah. just. It, it, I'm just going to a different creative direction right now. Don't worry about it. It's all good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, now the headline will read like "Exiting Through the 2010s Guys Split Because of Creative Differences," and this was the titular creative difference. Would, wouldn't that be a fun headline? And you read the article, and you're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> like deadline reports. Right. Deadline, man. If I get mentioned in a deadline article, I don't know what I'd do. I'd feel bad. Yeah. I don't know why. I'd feel bad. <laughs> you would have to offer apologies. I'd be like, I, I'm sorry. I was mentioned in this pretty uh, <laughs> sketchy, sketchy publication. Uh, I don't know if we have, we don't, I don't think we have had a single person on this podcast who's ever worked for Deadline. Yet. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I literally can't think of a single person. I don't, I can't either. Should we? I think we should keep it that way. Absolutely. It's my, it's my thought. All I the people for the I college know. newspaper, uh, the Chronicle. <laughs> oh. That's, that's all I did. I didn't we really also like, have beef with know. them, so sure. I'm actually going to have yeah. to ask you to leave, yeah. unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> I get it. We can take it from here. Thank you for giving us the movie. You can, like... Yeah, just, you know, it's one of those yeah. things. Um, well, they're, all, they're yeah. basically only two people... Yeah, they're the main stars of this movie. Though I could be the human toilet salesman that just sort of comes in. I guess she. I yeah. guess she's dubbed the carpenter. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that so. is that the title? I think that's of, her title. Oh, the carpenter. Yeah. Man, that sounds I, like a that sounds like a wrestling uh, a wrestler. The carpenter. Sure. <laughs> Maybe. But no, Maybe. I'm, it's not human toilet salesperson. Which mm. is disappointing, but that's okay. They missed. They missed out on that. They missed out on that. That yeah. was a. I, I would have taken that role. Um. Okay. I don't. How how else do we get this started? <laughs> well, I was also gonna add that I, um maybe if all else, Jim can get the perfume by credit because that was oh yeah um signal number fascinating one fascinating credits. The idiosyncrasies, costume and lingerie. Uh, by... Yes, yes. I think we um, need to know these things about every movie. Like who, su- yeah, you know, right. who supplied perfume <laughs> for the Flash or yeah. the latest blockbuster? Costume design has been a little too vague, I think. Hmm. But with us today, returning guest Jim Laskowski. Oh, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having um, me. This is so cool. Today. Oh, this is the coolest ever. Um, big fan of Directors Club. Big fan of and your show. Oh, my God. You, oh, stop it. Stop. Oh, we're too tired to each other. But today you have brought us Peter Strickland's Duke of Burgundy, 
Mm-hmm. And to make things easier, I believe this is Clay and I's first time seeing the movie. Absolutely. And first time really interacting with Strickland's work. Um, yes. Someone who has really carved out a distinct look in the decade. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess this is, since this, this is uh, our first time covering him, uh, maybe Jim can lead us off with your first exposure to not only Duke of Burgundy, but also Strickland's career. Just like, what was your first impression and how did you first encounter You're late. It's interesting because my first experience with his work was the film before this called Barbarian Sound Studio. And Mm -hmm. as somebody who's like an audiophile and just initially sought out probably in my 20s to like learn how to record music and just became obsessed with like mics and placement and all this stuff. That movie was like porn for me (laughs) because it was like it was about Foley work, really. Uh, and they, it was about this, the making of a giallo film. So it was more in the horror realm, but it, it, it was like, yeah, if Lin- David Lynch did like a giallo movie, but it, it's mm-hmm. just it, very dreamy, very surreal, uh, but very hyper-focused on sound. Mm-hmm. So I loved it. Uh, and I just knew, I had a good feeling about this filmmaker that he wasn't just going to be like, I don't know. I, I, I am a fan of De Palma, but sometimes it does just come across as Hitchcock pastiche mm-hmm. in a way. And in a way, Barbarian Sound Studio is kind of giallo pastiche. And I can see people kind of like going, eh, you know, there's nothing a whole lot original about that particular film. But I, when I first saw Duke of Burgundy, I was kind of like floored by, it felt like a huge step up from Barbarian Sound Studio in terms of mm. it being more about the characters and relationship dynamics and just uh, how things can get so messy 
when you're really close with somebody for a very long time and you're living with them. And I love movies that just start. No exposition. Mm. We're learning who these people are by the way they interact. And that mm-hmm. is like the ultimate like learning experience for when you're watching a movie is kind of just going with the flow, but also not being told everything. So it, it creates this air of mystery. And you're just so like, what is going on? And I love that feeling. Like, I don't necessarily need to know this is this person right off the bat. And this is that person. And this is their role. Um, I want to slowly see things unfold. And this is a movie about human behavior and relationships, relationships in particular, especially when they veer into like codependence. But this movie also kind of normalizes that in, the, in an interesting way. Like it just sort of goes, well, this is what it is. You know, this is the psychology of what love can do to just about anyone. It doesn't have to necessarily be about the whole role playing or BDSM kind of nature. It It's kind of just about two people and when they're together for a very long time, what happens when their needs aren't met or what happens when you feel a little suffocated by the other person or just you, you lose your sense of self within the relationship. And I think that can happen even with coworkers. It can happen with friends. It can happen with <clears throat> podcast co-hosts. Uh, it can happen with anybody. It doesn't, that's, that's what I love about this movie. Like you can look at it on the surface as it just being about, a romantic relationship, but I think what he gets at is like a deeper truth about relationships as a whole for me in particular. Mm. So, I mean, watching this like Mm. the third or fourth time, I kind of went, I don't know. I, there is something about movies like this or, or phantom thread that just sort of speak to like, when you have a lot of experience with relationships, you'll understand where, where movies like these are coming from, (laughs) you know, and just, like, oh man, I I get a little uncomfortable because I recognize certain things I've done or certain right. things my partner has done. Relationships, but in completely are different contexts. Like, yes. yeah, it's mm-hmm. one of the again BDS- small. Yeah, like yeah. BDSM is like the almost like the translation point, as in it's like it's not something that we have all. It's not a universal experience, but the context of the give and take in relationship, uh, the kind of the overall point. To the, that, um, to that, those, to those power dynamics, uh, is a, it translates to so many other different things. It's yeah, it really has. It's a bizarre way to connect to a universal feeling through BDSM. Yeah, um, it's kind of the brilliance of the film. Uh, can you describe to us the very first time you saw it? Like what theater? The audience reaction? Oh yeah. Or, did you, or like you know what when that kind of thing. Well, I'd seen it at the Music Box Theater here in Chicago, and it was it played for a very limited time. It wasn't shout out. Yeah, it's one. Of, it's the yeah. my favorite movie theater that I've ever been to. But uh, yeah, it just played there for maybe a week or two at the most, and I mainly went because, oh yeah, I like the guy who did Barbarian Sound Studio, and this is his follow up. Mm-hmm. And I had read a review by uh, film critic Mike D'Angelo, who rarely like gives raves. You know, like he's somebody I follow on Letterboxd and rarely will you see a four or four and a half. And this was pot. I think this might have been the first five from him I had seen in maybe Mm -hmm. a long, long time. And I do like his writing. 
Uh, I also saw that similar thing from Matt Lynch that this was yeah. a five from him, and I don't see that score that often. Yeah, and so, but, you know, I was at the music box. I did see it alone, although I knew my my co-host at the time, Patrick Rapola. You know, he was the original co-host with me on Directors Club. I knew that mm-hmm. he loved it, and we both did love Barbarian Sound Studio. So that's all it really took to make sure I, I got mm-hmm. to the theater to see it, and. I was a little mystified. I was, a, again, this is, it's similar to some of my favorite movies is really just the first time I watch it, there's a lot to take in. And because not everything is spelled out, a lot of it's left for me to decide on what this means or what that means or what the ending ultimately means. But the audience, I think, was pretty positive towards it like because it is an art house crowd that goes to the music box. right who's gonna you have to seek out a movie like that that isn't something yeah. just like oh we're just here on a random tuesday um i guess we'll see this it, it's something you have to seek out yeah but there was a sense of <laughs> similar again because i saw phantom thread at that same theater it, it was interesting to hear laughter and i think it's intentional laughter i think mm-hmm. strickland does have a sense of humor um, but it was just like, oh, this is, yeah, there's some maybe uncomfortable laughter going on because there's a scene that does take, you know, place behind a closed bathroom door. I think there's a couple of scenes actually, and you hear what's going on. <laughs> you, you don't have to see it. You just know what's going on behind that door. And I did hear chuckles and I certainly hear, heard that too, uh, during the, uh, the salesperson's pitch that whole scene too. Oh, right. It was just just interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was just very interesting experience and walking out of it. I was definitely on cloud nine because just because it was so original and I, I felt like I understand where both of those people are coming from, even though I side with one more than the other. So again, just a great, you know, experience of empathy and compassion and tenderness coming mm-hmm. from this filmmaker who I originally just kind of thought, oh, he's just going to be like a, you know, uh, trying to think of another example of like a genre guy. Yeah, just basically. Like, yeah. I mean, like, because who Strickland rings to me, I don't like comparing auteurs. They're auteurs for a reason. They're st- distinct for a reason. Yeah. You can't really relate them or copy them. But he does bring to mind David Cronenberg, right? Mm-hmm. Just like an entire sensory experience, an entire overload of, of like the tools that cinema gives you great performances, great detail, great aura, great look, a great sound design, right? All these things that are just like to a T. Um, I saw flux gourmet before seeing Duke and Burgundy <laughs> and that one is very Cronenbergian to me. Um, yeah, there are a lot sort, of about textures, will, uh, you know, and just, yes. yeah. And, um, my plan is to eventually seek out in fabric and barbarian sound system, but I figure someone will eventually choose those. Um, and, uh, if there's one movie that comes to mind to compare this one to the Alex Ross Perry movie, Queen of Earth, Ooh. Uh, very divisive movie. It's for, very divisive movie, like of all course, of his movies. Uh, with like <laughs> all of his movies, and uh, it's with his muse Lizzie Moss and also uh, Catherine Waterston as they just have this like budding romantic, questionable relationship in this lake house, um, and it's yeah, and I mean it's been a while since I've seen that. 
but same year as this, at least like the non-festival release. Interesting. Of, uh, yeah, you're right, you're right. And it's just yeah, like it dealing with similar mood. And it brought me like a similar feeling too, where it's just like in awe of what these two can represent. And also you mentioned the movie's um, unusual sense of humor where it doesn't necessarily come from jokes, but it comes from like situations. Yeah. And once compromise is neglected, I think it's like then a relationship can then reveal itself to be um, humorous and a little nonsensical. Have you guys done Queen of Earth, by the way? We haven't. We haven't done any Alex Ross Perry, but I I would like to because he's interesting. I want to hear people talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Her smell Um, is so fucking good. Alex, if you you would like. You can come on the pod if you if you'd like. No, but um, yeah, I would love to do her smell and the coloring, the color wheels, very good. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I um, I quite liked this movie a lot. Um, Happy to hear it because I I excellent. It's interesting to it's always interesting to go on Letterboxd after you watch something and see the star <laughs> rating range. Yes. Of something yes, that you, I agree. yeah, it's because I'm always like, really, you hated this or, oh my God, you're <laughs> in the middle or it's just interesting to see the range. But especially for us and something that came out in the earlier half of the decade and to see people that saw it at the time in which it came mm. out and those that sought it out after it came out, like weeks ago, even, um, and how those star ratings can, can, uh, ch- can change and like what the vibe is at the time versus seeking it out for our podcast. Um, yeah, but it's just this chamber piece that felt like it just felt dreamy because it's just like, yes, it is beguiling, but it didn't hold itself to like, well, they're actual era. scenes of dreams, like literal oh, yeah. dreams. Yeah. In the that, film. Yeah. That right. 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 I'm just, so that's not crazy. That's not a corny it. thing to say. Like it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. um this is one of those movies that I watched and I'm like, fuck, I missed it. It's one of those things where I watch it and it's done and then I'm just like, yeah, I just, it was, it's like a magnet. Like, you know how, like, if you put the positive ends to a magnet, you know, like, it'll kind of go apart no matter how hard you push it. Like, they won't, like, stick together. Um, it, but you can get it to so close that it'll look on a slip. Mm, yeah. Um, that's with me in this film. I, I couldn't connect to it. I would, I tried really hard. I got close and then there would be a scene where I'm like, ah, I think I'm out. And that's not like saying, I think it's bad. Um, there was just this, there was just something blocking my attention or my investment into the film. I can totally um, understand that. That's right. not, I mean, this is, to, on some level, it could be an alienating experience. And if I had one criticism, and I really don't, but I could see people coming at it with, uh, there are maybe one too many of those dreamlike montages with the eerie sound designer, the score. Uh, and But, like, I love that stuff, you know, because Lynch is one of my favorite directors, and you can see... Like anytime you are portraying somebody's dreams or, you know, there's just certain films and styles that like, I like, as I'm getting older, like I like experimental films more and more. Mm. And that entire sort of detour suddenly where all the moths 
invade the camera lens. Right. Is like, because it's nothing I normally see in a conventional movie or a typical drama, it just, I get a thrill out of just that choice from a filmmaker. And I'm, there are examples of that. And certainly like Paul Thomas Anderson would do something weird and, well, any I was of his movies. Favorite at the end. Yeah, that one too. Sure, that was the thing that popped into my mind. Um, but yeah, the the no, I mean, the beauty of the film um, is it's making strong choices, which is what you want from any piece of exactly. Cinema. Yeah. Um, and I respect it on that account. Um, and I also I love what how you pointed out how dreams is such a great place for a filmmaker to kind of play in that that um, sandbox because you there are so many different approaches it's almost one of those things where you can really figure out a filmmaker's tendencies their imagination what they how they limit themselves when they direct a, a, a dream sequence it's almost like a litmus test for a filmmaker okay what is your how do you depict a dream what is your vision of a dream yeah is it the christopher nolan like very methodical stale i mean stale i'm not saying sorry stale is not necessarily a judgment when i'm describing that and more of the it's this you know this very linear and um clear idea of what a dream is like everything is in Mm -hmm. pure focus there's nothing that's like yeah um, there's no blank spaces. Because, um, like, really, it, it could be a backdoor of, like, uh, the main character's psyche. But really, I mean, it's, like, the director's psyche. It's right. It's, like, that's... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. There's subconscious, like, Strickl- basically, yeah, absolutely. coming to light. Strickland has this quote where he's, like, I can't write men or women. I'm not detailed quite to seek what a gender is 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 desiring, but rather just people and it's like i can't i have to understand people with just writing characters and it's like i think that's the sort of like the clinical way in order to go about it to make these these very like uh mystifying worlds that that he's that he's built uh over these last four or five films but i can see somebody not connecting with it on an emotional level yeah that and that was i think my i think that was my um issue um it was also i never got fully invested i I, it never grabbed me because there would always yeah it it just the flow of it always kind of kept me like off guard and almost in a good way um it maybe it maybe didn't help me connect to the film but it challenged me and kept poking me um and kind of trying to like engage with my sensibilities in the sense of um how do you react to almost the normalcy of BDSM, the monotony mm-hmm. of it? How do you like almost being tedious? Can you accept that as a, an audience member, someone who you know? And not to you know, I I don't have extreme. I don't have any real thoughts on BDSM, um, but it challenges you. Whatever thoughts you do have, or pre- uh, or um, preconceptions you do have, it asks you, what do. You, is is this something you can just accept as a daily routine? Right. Can you accept mm. that? Can you get? Can you accept that it could get boring for something that could be such out, like completely out of your comfort zone? Yeah, um, the, there yeah, are couples yeah. who do do the master and slave kind of dynamic. Right, absolutely. And I'd never judge them for that, and I'd certainly say like, well, if it's working for you, if you're getting two something consenting out of it, adults, I don't care, yes, man. Right. Exactly. 
And I think that's what I like about this movie is that it's norm- not only kind of normalizing that, but just kind of painting codependency as inevitable in some ways. I mean, it gets ugly, and it's I mean that it can for a lot of people in in ways that are unhealthy and damaging. But in in, in a way, like he's sort of portraying it in this ten with this tender brushstroke in a way, just kind of like, I mean, you do. I think the most powerful scene does come when she finally breaks down and, and lets her partner know, I don't think I can keep doing this, you know, just mm-hmm. lets the, you know, facade fall away and just be, and, and gets to be real and honest and sort of break that routine that they're having. Uh, that to me feels like a really fully like realized human moment that can happen in any relationship. And it doesn't necessarily have to be about the role playing that they're doing. It's just, I don't feel as connected to you as a person because this is what it takes for you to feel connected and Mm. it's it's kind of really sad for me now i mean it did take me a couple of viewings to actually connect with it on an emotional level so i get that but maybe it's just because i've come back and sort of live with these characters a little bit longer too in some ways like i go back and i kind of experience what they're going through more and you can pick up on little details with rewatches so um what made you come back to the movie (sighs) Well, think? I think a lot of it just has to do with I, I like the way that everything is presented in this. And I think Peter Strickland does kind of have um, interesting sort of European art house influences. And mm-hmm. because a lot of people would would sort of look at like, oh, you know, something like those opening credits and would think of like Giallo filmmakers or uh, yeah. Jess Franco mm-hmm. or Jean Roland or a lot of these other directors I'm not as familiar with, but... I, I I would think that more or less he's kind of doing his take on a melodrama like the likes of Fassbender mm-hmm. or something like Todd Haynes would. would I know do. he's yeah he's cited Fassbender um, yeah but I I yeah I was thinking that because it's like um I know even something as like sixties like European like sexual horror or thrillers like something that's kind of like niche mm-hmm. like that that was more relevant decades ago even can have an influence on something like this that isn't really commenting on a time or isn't really taking place in any time yeah no this is Um, a weird world because there's no men (laughs) yeah um and the movie has leverage for the non-judgmental view because it like you say it really just drops you in yeah uh to this to this language that they've built for themselves um and the boredom is interesting because it's only been a few weeks that i saw uh sanctuary mm. ah yes that's a great and, comparison um, companion I, piece to this i i like this movie more but it's like just the idea of um uh um that one's a lot more like frantic mm-hmm. and um biting I guess, but it just, it does have on its mind where it's like wanting more and the line of respect and admiration and love and like, where does the line between like act and, um, and just trying to like create something real, uh, really form. But I I thought of that also while watching. And both films kind of have this, I don't know if it's subtle, but certainly just like, they both involve scripts, you know, like mm, right. people rehearsing right. a scenario yeah. to where I automatically start going, hmm, 
maybe the filmmaker is commenting on the way we tell stories and the way we direct one another. Right. Yeah. Because that can get tricky too. There's a a sense of power dynamics when you're a filmmaker directing actors, you know? Mm -hmm. So I I think that there's like, yeah, even when you mentioned Christopher Nolan and Inception, I always went to like, I wonder if this is Christopher Nolan's take on what it's like to make a movie because Leonardo DiCaprio could be his... Wait, what? <laughs> Leonardo it, DiCaprio can be could? interpreted as the director, you right. know, and I just... <laughs> Tom Hardy's the producer. Right, No, right, Ken right. Watanabe's yeah. the producer. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse Tom me. Hardy's like the storyboard artist. Um, no, I don't know. Um, no, but I like it when directors are doing that and maybe, again, on a subconscious right. level, they're doing it. Right. But it's there mm-hmm. yeah and that's like you know ford ford v ferrari is like making a movie in the studio system or whatever the fuck um it right. yeah those <laughs> those are pretty compelling um lenses to watch a movie with um but i to go back to some of the bdsm stuff and not to spend too much a uh, uh, time on it um because it's one of those things where it's like the movie is much more is much is more way more about that or way sorry it's about other shit much more Mm -hmm. it's much more than just bdsm um but in the contrast to mainstream mainstream uh um ideas and opinions and reactions to bdsm you have something like 50 shades of gray which just come out in this decade Mm. uh came out after this i think right it must have been must have been yeah maybe yeah yeah yeah. But the book yeah. came out before then. Right. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And that movie, and I haven't seen it, but I feel like I have at this point. Um, it's <laughs> all about, oh my God. They're going to do bondage. Holy it's shit, shocking. guys. It's oh shocking. my God. He's going to get a whip? Holy moly. We are not prepared. Um, it's this Handcuffs? Thing. Right, what? exactly. Exactly. It's this pure, like, Puritan idea of what sex could be. In the sense of, like, this risque and sinful way to, you know, to have intercourse. Oh my gosh. How can American society be prepared for such a thing? And this film is truly just like, yeah, no, human toilets, you know, the person down the street has a bed where, you know, you sleep on some, you know, you sleep on someone yeah, there's, you know, we, we, we got architecture for this. It's an eight-week order. It's actually in demand. Uh, so it's going to take a little bit. Um, do you want a human toilet? Oh, that might not be a bad idea. Like, it just is. There's no... And this takes place whenever, in whatever country. I have no idea. Yeah, um, that's what I like about it. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's this almost fantasy or a fantastical aspect of what if people were just cool? <laughs> like, it's one of those things where, like, people were just chill with shit um mm-hmm. and uh but it's also that idea of actually guess what sex can get boring that way too mm, if you do it point. enough any kind of sex can get boring people can get bored of each other no matter how many f- how what whatever fucked up and fucked up in quotient marks uh, like you know like whatever questionably th- what questionable things they do in bed even that shit can get stale like, it's not this idea that mm-hmm. one form of sex is better than the other, or, like, one is way more exciting, or... It's just, like, it's preference, and also it's, like, how many times do you do the same fucking thing? Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's all it's just it's just another relationship. And it doesn't it's even have a, to be about the sexual aspect. Absolutely. It could be like you guys mm-hmm. go to the same restaurant all the time. It's just, you know, you know what the food tastes like and you're getting bored with it or something or, you know, mm-hmm. just could even be the same person. Yeah. You're just you're it's like you know your partner like what they'll do, how they'll say what they say, how how they'll react, you know, it's just it yeah, it's just the idea that boredom is inevitable and human beings can um can be desired of change. So we need to normalize um, boredom. <laughs> you know, and just like accept that it's a part of part of We should normalize yeah. being sleepy. It's yeah. part it, it it's in it's integ it's attached to every single relationship you will ever have in life. Mm-hmm. You will be bored Without of question. each other. It just happens. And it's how you respond to that is whether your relationship is strong or not. I don't think um, I'll be bored with you guys, but we're not in like in a you, serious Jack. relationship. This is almost like a, you know. I, I mean, I'm bored let's, of let's get already. to director's club. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I can only deal with gingers for so long. Um, you said you would be kind to the French. I said gingers. Oh, oh, that's right. You are part French. Oh, I always forget yeah. that. I always wonder. Okay. I wondered why you stopped drinking ginger ale. You know, I just um, I thought. Oh. You know, mm. I have to take a stance. <laughs> I just have to. I have to be. I have to be. We gotta change to things up. You just don't want to drink the same thing all yeah. the time. Absolutely. Right. Um, but it is. It truly does make the point of the film so much more clear and so much more relatable when it, you just kind of. Think of it, it's like BDSM, whatever the fuck, who cares? It's about mm. relationships. Um, and, and it's not course, male gazy, mm. even if it's coming from right. a male director. Right. Absolutely. And it's interesting uh, when you think of it, yeah. this and Carol yeah. came out the same year. Oh, that's a great point. Um, They're both telling Because, yeah, you know, I mean, all, all of stories. this. Um, right, right, right. Um, another movie with covered. Because it's like we. Uh, we face all of this the approach the um um subtext the performances the look of it i mean you don't want to like make assumptions but it all it it does all read like very european um very much like that sensibility um that has like gathered so much acclaim from anyone who doesn't have to be european to enjoy this um especially as he's sort of like um, evolved his style from Barbarian sound system to, to hear and to like not make something um, so genre-y and now to have like this, this like, I, I don't know what genre to place this in, but it's just sort of, erotic it, it's thriller-ish, um, uh, erotic no, drama. No, I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Rela- relationship drama. I it's not even that erotic to be honest the sex is kind of treated like man they're doing it yeah they're just doing it you know it's it's not leering there's not i don't think there's any nudity right i mean there is a little like fuzziness and like things in a mirror i love the shots of them and together in a mirror by the way those beautiful stuff Mm -hmm. that and it's like or it's like kaleidoscope fucking shots of sex 
mm -hmm. uh, where it's like three mm -hmm. different projections of um, of Cynthia or something. Like it's truly uninterested with the actual like the physical intercourse. It's all emotion. Like the most the, mm -hmm. the thing that is most visible is someone grabbing sheets or grabbing their hair or like you know or passionately caressing. kissing. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. caressing, yes. It's almost like the actual mm -hmm. act of it is so like I mean that's just the that's that's just a part of it. It's so much more emotion based and also power based. You know who is control of whose body at what point. Mm. Um, uh -huh. So that I, I it's the film is just bursting with ideas. That and that was the mm -hmm. thing that was most compelling to me. Yeah, and that mm -hmm. can be overwhelming. Yeah, sometimes. absolutely. Yeah. Because like leverage is what um, arouses them, but it, 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 it between two people, it's like leverage can only go so many, so many ways, and and to and to see that sort of like flow through them, uh, that and, and the way that they confront that is, yeah, it's quite it's quite interesting. I, it, um, it, and it's uh it's the idea of like, the movie you you almost think is like a little bit ahead of its time, right? Because like, if it was if it came out like when In Fabric came out, then I think it could have been, like, even more acclaimed, despite, like, this one being a step above from what uh, Strickland provided with uh, Barbarian. Yeah, I wonder if it is... I mean, I, I can't help but wonder if this film came out now, what the response would be. But it's it, it's mm -hmm. also, like... I remember even when I first saw Under the Skin, that's another movie that sort of takes, like a genre framework where you're expecting, Oh, it's kind of about this alien. It's kind of, it's kind of science fiction. It's kind of horror. And it's making a commentary about, you know, so many things in a way, and certainly just the way, you know, men perceive women and a lot, a lot is going on underneath the surface, under the skin of that movie, one might say, oh, but it, it, you know, it just, it, it sort of decides let's do away with the traditional narrative and see what sticks mm -hmm. in terms of it making, you know, a little bit more obtuse or dreamlike or just not having everything add up in a way that's sometimes tricky mm -hmm. for people because even me who wants to ex have like an intellectual experience sometimes with movies, it, it, you can't watch it once you, you because yeah. there's the yeah. first viewing is different than the second viewing because you're engaging with it in mm -hmm. a different way the second time you watch something because now you kind of know you're primed up you know what to expect now you can engage with it differently and that's kind of what happened with me in this movie because I was also like I don't know if I understand if this is a healthy relationship and at the very end what does that mean for them as people are they mm -hmm. it seems like that they've come to an understanding it seems like they've decided to burn the safe word and get rid of that box and try to work through things but then the movie ends the same way it begins and so i'm wondering mm -hmm. if the filmmaker is saying well it's cyclical it's just something that's unavoidable but maybe we just don't see what happens after this time she answers the door you know, and maybe it's a very different take situation it, for them. Yeah, I take it too, where it's like that's this is just like all I've known for so long. Yeah, and they just like stick back with what's comfortable and what they're good at, um, what's what's risque, but now also a little banal, and it's and it's just like these combos of things you can just like imply from just the um, the match of 
the beginning of the ending. Because um, I guess like if I've always if I've always like stuck to some understanding, it's like a filmmaker uh, is is like so purposeful um, for for the decision making that it's like I don't I don't often like try to try to like overcomplicate their decisions because like okay well this was like made for a reason and it's like so like so often intelligently done um that i just try to look at it where it's like yes it 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 is challenging but also it's like i love that i'm like treated with with so much like dignity that i can like figure this out without uh the rules of the movie being spelt out um and and this is just another example of that see the Um, first time i saw it too i wanted to ask really quickly for the both of you did you notice the mannequins because the first time I saw it, I didn't realize that there were mannequins Only at the one. lectures. Wait, what? At the lectures? Yeah, at the lectures. Yo, you know, what the you see fuck? All, you see all the you saw see all the women sitting in the chairs, and they're all being really attentive to to what is being said and everything, and they all seem really engrossed. But there are, I don't know if they're just seat fillers or what. But there are just mannequins no, sitting that's there. A choice. Wow. Yeah, that's it's just crazy. interesting. I don't know what he's trying to say by making that choice. Like, oh, they're just you know, they're all sort of just here just to be here. They're just engaged. They're just kind of you know. And the same thing with the moths. I'm sure you can come up with your own theory right. on you know the moths and the fact that the title of the film is an, is a butterfly. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this is what they and, do, and also pana- and also panas- yeah, panastry. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, as the um, I was gonna bring up as well. Uh, I I did not notice the mannequins, but I was gonna say <laughs> IMDb trivia saved me from embarrassing myself because the first trap, the first fact is uh, the mannequins are in the um, the audience in the seminars. I'm like oh. Really, and then I scrub through the movie again. Like there they are. Yeah, isn't that um, weird? Fascinating. It, that's that's really something that totally worked yeah. on like a subconscious level. Yeah. Like you just don't think about it until you're kind of made aware of it. The second time I saw right, it, seriously, yeah, I saw it and I was like, "Whoa, weird." Mm-hmm. Wonder what that's all about. I still don't know. <laughs> um, I just think it's cool. <laughs> no, it's really yeah. cool. Um, and and I hate to go back to like a little while ago when we were talking about the sex scenes, but I was looking up. Um, so we mentioned how this came out the same year as Carol. Yes. And how we were saying that this lacks a lot of the male gaze, just like Carol. Um, and the thing with Todd Haynes, and the thing is, and whether this is with whether this is just or not, I've just heard people in the past credit Todd Haynes uh, not having that male gaze because of his connection to um, the LGBT community as he is a gay right. man. Mm-hmm. Um and I was just curious if Peter Strickland was also gay. Um, I don't I was, know, actually. And I so I don't know either. I haven't haven't had I haven't found something concrete. But I did. So there's this uh, interview by ComicsBeat.com. Never heard of you guys. I apologize. <laughs> um, this was back in 2019 when he was getting interviewed yeah. for the in, in Fabric. Um, but there is this quote here that's cut that kind of goes directly into how he shot those sex scenes even though it's not in ref even though he's not specifically referencing uh the dukes of burgundy um i guess i was watching a lot of gay pornography from the 70s things like wakefield pool especially fred halstead peter derome jim uh uh, bitgood 
really psychedelic gay porn, which was really unlike anything else. Just really mes, uh, just really mesmeric and hypnotizing, and using multiple projections in dry ice and mirrors. I guess that was the cinema I really wanted to be inspired by. There's something I like about porn where it was always kind of discarded. People are immediately repellent and don't want to deal with it. So I guess I have this scavenger mentality. If it's in a bin, it must be interesting. <laughs> Could you reread that in a British accent? No. Okay, yeah. I think, yeah, I think that could also be in reference to another movie he wanted to make involving two gay men in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's, I think he's had a lot of trouble getting funding for it. Um, yeah, it or was just, in reference yeah. to that, yeah. Yeah, and I just... It seems like a, a, few, a lot of his movies are pretty, like, low-budgeted. Yeah, um, but st- yeah. I don't know, I just... I want him to make more movies. It's funny because like mm-hmm. Flux Gourmet, did, again, I've only seen it once, but that was like, mm-hmm. I was like, mm, I liked what Infabric did more with this idea mm-hmm. and certainly getting really weird. I mean, that, that I think that was even filmed um, around the pandemic when it first started or something. And mm-hmm. it just, yeah, that would make it sense. It felt a little yeah. disconnected, like and very kind of constrained in its ideas and just, I don't know if I fully grasp that one, <laughs> but it's very possible yeah. I will again in the future. But I don't know. In Fabric seemed to me, I wouldn't say the most accessible of all of his films, but it's just the humor was very apparent. It's you, you could see why A24 wanted to take take on that film because it it, it fits mm. right in with the kind of movies they they put out. Um but it's again, it's it just goes into some unexpected places, and it's very funny, and has a lot of great sort of sat satire on just our our tendency to be uh, you know shopaholics and looking for the perfect dress or the perfect suit or just you know it's there's the department store satire in a way, just like how obsessive we get about fashion. That's kind of what that movie was about, and there are mannequins in that too. Appropriately so, um, mm. but no, I, recom- fit, I recommend that yeah. one yeah. as like mm-hmm. the next one to go to. Not and again, like I say, accessible just because like oh, I found it to be the funniest and most obviously funny of all of his movies. So I think it's kind of more in- entertaining and enjoyable and less about just you know relationships between people. But I mean, mm. Duke of Burgundy is just for me kind of light years above anything he's made only because I, I've been in relationships where, yeah, you, you kind of, I wouldn't say get bored with one another, but just they'll do something that irks you and you don't say anything about it. You just let it happen because you you don't want to make your partner feel bad or uncomfortable. So you just sort of keep it to yourself. And I think, you know, that that's kind of, inevitable with anybody that you're interacting with for a long period of time and you know a, a, re- a relationship is about you know two people with these imperfect personalities and sometimes conflicting desires trying to work something out together and you're trying to create this symbiosis in a way between you know just like I want to do this thing but you know I, I, I want to go see this happen to me in a relationship where my partner was like, I really want to see Love Actually. And I was like, I want to see Bad Santa because it's from the director of Ghost World. Maybe it'll be really funny. <laughs> so we had this argument 
you know, between the two movies. And I didn't end up liking Bad Santa, and I wish I'd gone to see Love Actually. So there's little things where, you know, you have arguments with people, and they sort of can add up over time, and they can overwhelm you and the other person. And I think this film really does capture that, uh, and yet it's about a submissive, dominant relationship, too. Mm. You know, so because that's... We were talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. To me, that's the wrong version of this kind of story. It's just, kind of, and I, you know, wrong, quote unquote. I don't want to be judgy, but to me, it just, and I've never seen the movie just because I get the impression that I won't like it. I, I get the impression that it's like, it is about the man trying to dominate the woman, and isn't it scandalous? Ugh. Right. You know. And it's about money yes. and, and, and power and protection. And a lot more of these innocence and of course, being like, corrupted, um, and you know, I don't right. know. Right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, the loss of innocence. Um, and I think um, it's written by women, and that and that might you know um, have some some differential there. And um, it has a huge following, but, you know. So I don't. Yeah, right, right. That's true. I mean, it might be for a reason, and it's just, but it just doesn't seem like I'm, it appeals to me in the way that Duke of Burgundy does. That is the uh, the more sanitized. Um, studio friendly version, but this this I wouldn't even. Go. It's such it's so authentic to itself, and I wouldn't even say it's like trying to be anything. It's just a Peter Strickland movie. Like it's just like a a psychological look into these two people's relationships and a pivotal moment that they discover. Um, yeah. but it's not like, oh, I'm going to make a BDSM movie, right? It's just, I, I don't know. It's like, I tried to like, that's why I was trying to have like, that's why I was struggling to like come up with a genre that this fits in. Cause it's like, it is like a miscellaneous. It's a relationship right? drama. Um, that's uh, yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. That's, I, I said, that's, that's what I said. That. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. no, it's fine. Just like credit me. No. Uh, I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier, Jim. Um, you said, like, you know, two, it's two people in a relationship, two people with, like, imperfections and their own tendencies and preferences. Um, I think one of my issues with the film that kept me from being fully bought in is how I found the con the conflict of the film pretty one-sided, at least in my mm. opinion. Yeah, I can, I, I can see that. Yeah, I, and the thing is, it, the issue is, I'm trying to understand... Um, was it not Luna? Who's, it's, and Cynthia is the older one. What's Who's the younger one again? Evelyn. It, um, Evelyn. Oh, Evelyn. Why did I think Luna? Um... I, I'm trying. Throughout the film, I'm trying to understand Evelyn's perspective here and her frustration, because to me, and this might be maybe this is because of personally who I am. Um, but with uh, but with Cynthia, it's like she is Cynthia is so patient, she is so giving, she is basically indulging in almost every single thing that. Uh, that um evelyn requests um and has to deal with a lot of snide comments some ungratefulness and is okay with being bored for the love of her partner without really asking for anything in return 
besides like the occasional back rub but that's almost more of just like trying to understand or not trying to understand but trying to say hey i also need affection here Mm -hmm. it can't all about be it can't just be about you um and it's hard for me to understand how it's it could be a like it's a two-sided thing when I just feel so much for like Cynthia's just com- almost completely in the right, um, and yeah. I can't tell if that's just me or the film also thinks that. Um, I'm guessing it's maybe the former that it's just me, um, but to be honest, if that's the case, I don't think the film communicates all that well why Evelyn has these cr- like these pretty crazy expectations of someone and is almost pretty selfish about it, about the relationship. Oh, she's very selfish. And I wonder if there is another film, you know, that sort of creates this backstory of why Evelyn is the way she is and why Peter Cynthia Strickland, puts up with it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is there something from their past that sort of informs the way they are and why they do accept things or why Evelyn is, the way she is and, and very selfish. And, you know, to the point where it's like, you know, Cynthia hurts her back and, you know, she, I just, I, I do get really angry with Evelyn, you know, and just, you're right in saying that most of my compassion is leading towards Cynthia because you just see how exasperated she is and how, right. just, you know, I have to do this again. And especially when Evelyn's like, no, you got to, you gotta do it this way. You gotta have more conviction, or it's you know, cutting criticisms. It's so yeah, I mean, it's almost yeah. toxic to me. I mean, it, it, really, Cynthia should just leave. Yeah, and I, mm. I don't know if that's kind of what the final image of the movie is trying to say. That like that's where this is headed towards. You know, because like again, it's not one of those mm-hmm. movies. It, it is, it is not something that's gonna spell things out to you and say. It's yeah. a happy ending. It's a sad ending. Or this is exactly what's going to happen. That she's going to leave, or she's not going to leave. It's it's more just like, what do you think? And I mm-hmm. I love movies that and do that. And the movie's better. Yeah, same. And the movie's better for that. Um, but yeah, I, and, I do uh, agree that, though. That, that's that's it, it's you get really. I mean, it is sort of. I don't want to say it's painting it, it, these characters in just complete black and whites, where it's just like, you know, mm-hmm. Evelyn is is being the bad person and Cynthia's, you know, the good person. I don't, I don't know. I don't necessarily see it that way, but I, I, I know I've been selfish in relationships, not to that extreme, <clears throat> you know? Right. So I guess right. that, that's my in, in a way. Right. And, and, um, of course, like this is a relationship between two women, but also like a relationship between two older women. And from my interpretation, it was, like, they are both, like, assured of themselves and, like, the boundaries um, that have been have been established are maybe not crossed, but more, like, um, the toxicity is something that is just, like, like, woven in and they can't really know a way how to stop it because they're just like this is just like the way that it's going do you think evelyn um, is older i but, i didn't i didn't read i didn't read that the same way at all i think she's a little younger than cynthia really she plays so. so much younger to me 
Like that mentor mentee relationship mm. is what I grabbed from it. But she doesn't yeah. look she doesn't look totally young. But that relationship dynamic screamed that she was young. Like not maybe not the age of not the age difference of maybe Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett, but kind of close to that. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But I but she doesn't look young. I mean that that sounds loaded. I mean she doesn't look like she's in her early twenties necessarily. Um, mm. But that's how she kind of reads to me with her, especially with her relationship with the science and how almost inexperienced mm-hmm. and uh, easily embarrassed she is by it, and her um, and is always looking up to Cynthia in that regard yeah. about how she's the expert. It's almost mm-hmm. like a professor uh, professor student relationship in some ways. Um, I don't think it's quite like that, but that was how the dynamic read to me, even though. It's very possible there's not a big age difference, but I, I definitely did not see Evelyn as an older person because she seems more because, and I, you know, young people, you're you're my pe- you're, you're my people, you're my guys, but you're we're more selfish most of the time because oh we, yeah, I was I was way way more selfish in my twenties, <laughs> absolutely, and that's and that's what made and that's what I read as Evelyn's character is that her youth and almost mm. inexperience with relationships led to that selfishness and that self-absorption um Uh and how she basically felt like and she says this repeatedly uh you're i i'm living my dream by being totally dominated by this woman and i love you and how this is the perfect thing for me um she feels like she hit the jackpot and is kind of just like i'm playing with house money uh to be a little crude about how like she views relationship Obviously, it's much you know it's much more romantic and nuanced than what I'm saying, but that idea of I got in the perfect relationship. This person does pretty much anything I want. Why not just ask for more? Why not just be happy? Um, and I think yeah, that's why a very not ask young... what your partner wants. Right, but I, mean, I think that's, that's, that's a my very instinct. young and yeah, exactly, <laughs> and that's my instinct as well. But I think more times than not, that's a very much a young person's uh, mentality, especially yeah. when you feel like you're you found the person and you're just like i, I can just ask because they're since they're the person i can just ask them for anything i want and they will because and they will do it because they love me it's not necessarily they're evil or mean it's just that they don't almost know any better um and that's why i viewed evelyn as like a pretty like i think there was a age gap there um but again i could be wrong and that's the beauty of the film is that there's just no real information given where they are, what year it is, what exactly any of their jobs are, what is this, you know, like, what's the community's feeling on uh, homosexual relationships, that kind of thing. It's all left to interpretation. Um, but yeah, that was my... Well, point. in this world, there's probably no men at all. I mean, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, there is. Yeah, literally, there is no, no one. Uh, yeah. It's just like, that. that's all. There's no male characters, yeah. I was gonna look. Um, I was gonna look up the ages of the actresses just out of curiosity. Mm. Uh, I couldn't find. Oh, I, can't, I guess um, I can't find um, Evelyn's age. You're right. Yeah, I couldn't find Chiara Diana's yeah, age. Um, but yeah, I guess just didn't read as like Kate Blanchett, Rudy Mara, but just like not a bit. It doesn't matter. But it's like you know. I guess it's just one of those things where it's like two people with like. Um, experience and boundaries, but just then leverage is then used to to inform their power. Dynamics. Boundaries is a good word to and, use, um, especially these days, because mm-hmm. it's so it's become a buzzword to use within 
relationships and consent and I understand why and it's I wish there's certain when you watch something especially now you kind of go back to when you were in relationships that didn't quite work out and you kind of go what if I had done this instead and what if I'd said this instead and you know why wasn't I why didn't I have the self-awareness then that I do now to actually be open and expressive and communicative and that's kind of our undoing sometimes it's just like being a people pleaser to some extent you know where it's just mm. i don't want to let this person down because they're mm. such a huge part of my life that maybe you know to some extent you don't want to show your weakness or you don't want to rock the boat and i understand that i i mean i don't i don't want to make people feel awkward or uncomfortable or confront them if they're, you know, being a dick. <laughs> Most of the time it is like a matter of, uh, I'm internalizing it to a fault, but I also don't want to experience just that feeling of, you know, the other person feeling something negative. To, I just don't like to, I don't want to spread negative energy, <laughs> you know? And that's sometimes why it's even hard to like uh, review a movie I don't, care for because I don't know people worked hard in this damn movie I don't want to be mean about it mm. just I for the most part I'm just like eh, it wasn't for me and that can happen a lot of the times even with movies that are critically acclaimed so but for yeah I just to get back to like the the overall I guess theme or ideas going on really revolves around the fact that partners just have to accommodate each other's desires even if they don't share them but also communicate openly when you do feel things are getting stale or things aren't working anymore or you just feel lost and I think that's what happens when Cynthia just breaks into tears and just asks for Evelyn's forgiveness you know and just what can we do to make this work and I, I want to be the optimist in saying that they do figure out like a compromise mm. I just hope that's the case. I think they mm. do for the immediate future. Now, does the the main differences in the relationship come back later? Sure, that could be a thing. Um, but they do seem very much happy together. Um, yeah. A, a, mm. After that scene. I, I think um, another thing that stood out to me in terms of the relationship aspect, Cynthia feels so is so scared um to what her reaction will be and it's like the beautiful dichotomy of the film is that the person that even though evelyn wants to be controlled she's really the controlling one and that's like the like that's the real twist of the film to me like that's the real like while evelyn likes to be feels like completely powerless she's the one with almost all the power because you see how Cynthia almost completely shuts down and is like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, don't be mad, don't be mad. It sounds like something they would say in their role-playing, but Evelyn would be saying the same the thing. Don't be mad. Um, I find that kind of, that dichotomy really interesting. But I also, to get back to the role-playing, I remember my point. Um, I think there's something to say about being like you can't even communicate properly without it kind of somehow getting into another role play um a scenario 
Like, because they're not, they, 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 it's almost, they can't really play themselves around each other. They can't be true to each other because they've built this mm. constant story that's ever evolving and repeat and repeats a lot of the same tropes, but also has this kind of language to it where like, yeah, it, it's, it's hard for them to even just be true to themselves when they're always playing a character. Um, yeah. And it's, and it, it, it said that to me when they're in bed and obvious, and then when like, um, uh, Evelyn quickly shuts down the lovey dovey talk that, Cynthia was giving like saying I love you so much like no talk about the other stuff and of course she means please role play yeah. and Cynthia be nasty saying, you hear right, that a lot. be nasty right. and Cynthia says you know I'm not happy I'm not happy with you and then gets into the maid stuff but that one, that first that first little sentence I'm not happy how is she supposed to say that in a very serious and actual like a in, in actual communication when it's almost used mm-hmm. as a turn on like, how can you yeah. actually communicate I'm not happy without it being some sexual connection with Evelyn? And that's, like, the issue mm-hmm. is that there's they almost lose their authenticity and their actual feelings and regard for each other because they get so caught up. It, this role-playing has become so part of their lifestyle. It's so part of their routine. They almost can't separate themselves from it. Um, yeah, the lines start mm-hmm. to blur quite a bit, right. especially yeah. with the birth cake, birthday cake. Absolutely. Yeah. Where it's like, and, and for me, it's like so funny because like, I love that stuff where it's like, like where, like you could even, I could even interpret it as like, I did interpret it like, um, admitting your own unhappiness is like arousing them or it's like, <laughs> or it's like even more, or it's like creating even more blockage to like solving their issues or even like, um, identifying their issues at first. And we could easily be like, just walk away, <laughs> right? Like, or, or just like, um, say, say the quiet part out loud or, or these like bold decisions, um, that, uh, Evelyn and Cynthia could make, but then it's like, that's just like the great drama that the movie has on its mind and what Strickland has on its mind, where it's just like these things that could be so clearly done, um, to, to mend this relationship that's that's like started to escalate um and then it's just like going the other direction it's it's very it's very interesting um it's just an unusual way to express love to another person by basically mm. i don't know making them feel bad or humiliating them it's it does feel mm, it's so because it's so foreign to us yeah we just would never think i mean I, I mean of course like there's a billion reasons why that's an unusual way sure to express well, but it's just like for me, that's like the first one reason that comes to mind. It's just like, right? Like there are people. I mean, there aren't people like this, but it's like there could be people like this, or there's or that um, people like this would find it suitable for a time until there you hit a wall. Yeah. Um, but but then it's just like everyone hits a wall. It's just like this is their just their 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 story. And, well, and it's interesting it. to me that sometimes when I've talked talked to people who are in open relationships or are polyamorous, to me that seems very complicated and challenging and overwhelming because I'm like, how do you handle? One relationship, let alone two or three or, that's or sometimes four. That uh, you've ever heard. Everyone's heard the uh, term "threading the needle." 
that is like threading the micro microscopic needle like that's <laughs> insane i mean i respect it and i support it again consenting adults i don't give a fuck what you do whatever makes you happy but like you but no like you said jim that's like a that's something of it's its own ilk it's its own it's its own uh, emotional state I can't even imagine. That's crazy. But they're but they're the ones mm. who find monogamy weird. Exactly. You know, that's what's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's a completely you know, different I, way of viewing it. I mean, again, I respect it. Yeah. But I just I think I I can't. Good job for those people because that seems like the most challenging thing in the world to me. Oh yeah, um, I think so. I I, I knew someone who's who was polyamorous by freshman year of college, and and they said something where it's like you'll hear, like people in monogamous relationships say but just like about multiple people that aren't um that aren't aren't contained to uh to each other that's like we just want the best for each other and if that means um stepping out into other people then then like our heart is is open to that and it's just like like it then the way that they sort of admitted it when talking about it is it's just so easy for them and that's what i find so cool where it's like yes it's so it's so um beyond us to to imagine imagine that since we we just you know our hearts aren't in that place but it's like right it's really easy for some people yeah um, and i but it's like i want to yeah. be open-minded and not just be like ah that's right, of course. weird of how course. do they do it <laughs> but you know i mean <laughs> no I, I get it too to no. some extent because it is a lot to ask one person to meet yeah. all your needs you know and just be like okay you're gonna be the one that i do everything with and be around all the time and i but you know i mean being able to Again, time management between other relationships. I don't know how you make them equal. You know, like treating two people equally in the same way. You know, and, and they make it work. And there's even books about it. So there's, know. you know, there's a lot to say about just those types of relationship dynamics actually working out for people. Uh, you know, but it, it's it's just it's it's so it's so interesting to watch. I mean, that's why I love movies, really, is because I get to experience things, you know, vicariously, of course, uh, that I never would. And I'm never going to be rich enough to go to foreign countries, so that's why I watch foreign films. (laughs) You know, and it's not to say Mm -hmm. it's the same thing, and I certainly would love to travel and go to those places and take photos and have the experience firsthand. But I I just love movies because I get to just immerse myself into something that I don't experience at all. And this is definitely that. Uh, and I, I, but I, I do get a real strong sense of, of empathy from Strickland about what these two people are going through. Mm. And I, that's, that's another thing I love about movies is just, that you get to really understand what people go through and how complicated and messy and weird relationships can be. But yet, they can also be beautiful and 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 actually help <laughs> us understand why we are the way we are. But uh, again, I'm not sure what all the moths represent. <laughs> you know, in terms of like, is it just you know, 
being pinned down and examined, realizing that we're all just like these creatures trapped in our own little display Natural case. Natural attraction. Yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, you know, I'm sure if you asked Strickland, it would be something along those lines. It just kind of like it's either that or it's a fuck you. In. Those are the two answers those kind of directors give. <laughs> it's either the this is actually hey. what I was thinking, uh, or why the fuck did mm-hmm. you ask me that? I'm not answering that question. Those are the two answers those people give. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, or know. or it's like the the interviewer will will be like, "This is my interpretation," and then the 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 filmmaker will be like, "It was nothing like that." <laughs> Um, yeah, I think we talked about that with the ending yeah. of uh, Take Shelter, that Jeff Nichols oh, yeah. had his own yeah. interpretation of it. And mm-hmm. I I don't know. Sometimes I'm just curious what the actual creator of their work thinks something means. Yet I, I get the I, I understand the instinct to also not share that. So you are mm-hmm. it's left up to you to come up with <clears throat> what you think it means and not have it, you know, sort of. Uh, influenced by other interpretations but that's true then again it's like i find it interesting that a filmmaker can be um having their own interpretation of their own work that they like wrote and directed yeah and it's like what they what they said on the page is the event but it's not necessarily like they are projecting all of their um all of their thoughts and beliefs into that event. Like if there's just more to add um, when discussing their own work, like that's, that's interesting. But then it's like, you could also read it like um, Strickland's interpretation of, of the butterflies, let's say, isn't like the, I mean, clearly it's not the, um, uh, the sole representation of what that means, mm-hmm. yeah. but rather just like one, one version of what it could be. And and I prefer I prefer that, of course. Um, yeah, but sometimes I don't want to read too much into things, you know. Sometimes a cigar is yeah. just a cigar. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of I want to. So we've been talking very heavily into the, the themes, um, and that's great. Because, but I, I kind of want to point out something. I think that's probably my favorite part of the movie. Um, is the a favorite? No, no. Scene well, okay, we can move into that. Because um, oh. it probably does, it, it is it, it is integral to my favorite scene. Uh, but the editing here is some of the best I've seen in a mm. very long time. Some of these cuts in this mm. fucking movie are absolutely brilliant and visually so intoxicating. Um, and mm-hmm. it's in yeah. that moth connection, yeah. that insect connection, and how it can cut from that to human bodies... It's so fascinating and so enrapturing. Um, That was, I was blown away by the editing of this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, Um, I was too. And and the score, the score is gorgeous. uh, Yeah, by Cat's Eyes, which is fantastic. I knew right from the beginning of this movie, I was just going to be like, oh, I love this. (laughs) And the music. Yeah, it really is the complete package. Yeah, Music had a Um, big part in that. Just the way it starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's cut. I'm trying to like my letterbox is is lagging. It's cut by. Um, oh Fine my god. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh my god. This is not. I can look it up if you right. want. The editor. The editor is. Uh, um, no, it's Matthias. Matthias I was going to credit Fikiti. Fikati. Fikati. 
Ficati. Yes. Uh, brilliant job with the edit. And it's also shot by Nick Noland, who is um, um, very... I would know what his credits are if this was loading. Oh, my internet's um, slow, too. I wonder uh, if there's a, something yeah. going on. What the hell? No, Clark, I mean, I get my internet's this? fine. I don't know what's up with you two. Wait, what else are you looking <laughs> yeah. up? Us losers. Um, right, and of course, um, Nick Nolan shot uh, Berean Sound Studio. Yeah. And, um, yeah, this is this is great. This is just a great-looking movie. Stunning. That's all, that's, that's all I was going to say. And I was going to also add, if, if any of us have seen any... Um, Jesus Nero films since this movie for Strickland um, was it was a very big inspiration uh, going as far to cast um, Monica Swin who is who is one of right. his biggest collaborators yeah this is this is when I, I need people who are oh sorry famous. Jesus Franco not oh yeah not, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know I'm it's funny yeah, yeah. that he has made I don't know how a countless amount of movies, mm-hmm. and I know people who adore his work, and I've yet to see I don't think one title, and it, it really shocks people <laughs> sometimes. And I'm just like I don't know how some directors just got past me, or why I haven't seen like I think some of his more renowned works or something, but I I just there's always been these blind spots, and that's a big one for me. You know, so I and as much as I love Duke of Burgundy, I, I get the sense that it's mostly surface level things that I don't I don't think you're going to have the same type of experience watching one of his movies, uh, J- Jess Franco's movies mm-hmm. that you would. Right. With this. Right. I think it's very different. That's the vibe I get to. Yeah. But it's more like the feel and the emotion that that franco would give you is what which, uh, um strickland is trying to evoke. yeah and um mm-hmm. um why don't we why don't we say yeah like it's a favorite I think that scene works perfectly yeah what are we thinking yeah uh uh-huh. I, yeah i've already talked about it really <laughs> but no just that scene where the where the breakdown happens just there's mm-hmm. a feeling of letting go and being honest with your partner, even if it hurts. Mm-hmm. And it does. She's breaking into tears. And that whole moment really hits me on like a third or fourth viewing. Like the first time I, I wasn't as like emotionally enraptured. And now when I see her, you know, basically just not being unsure of she can continue this. Uh, and it could be just, I don't know if I can continue the role playing, but I honestly think it's, you know, deeper than that. I think it's, I don't know if I can be with you because this is what it requires of me. And this mm-hmm. is all, this is what it takes for you to, you know, feel loved. And I don't think I can keep doing this over and over and over again. Um, and so mm-hmm. that, that whole moment, basically right after, you know, the role playing stops really where she just gets real, just, yeah, wallops me now. <laughs> so, Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the tenderness too, when they finally embrace and just you know realize that they have to come to some sort of understanding to get through this and work through it. Yeah, because that's very real, you know. Yeah, definitely. You're starting to like face things that like you were suspicious of, but yeah, now like it's come to the surface, and it's yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think what makes yeah, that scene no, that, that's a really I think what makes that scene moment. work is how hard she's trying to continue it, even though like mm-hmm. basically two minutes before it actually breaks down, you're like, this it's done, like you don't this 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 the, the scene, this story that you're trying to keep keep going is it's over, you're, you, we you've already broken, it, and, and what I mean I'm not talking about the relationship I mean that like the role playing scenario. It's just, she just keeps trying to push it along so badly. And you can see the effort in her face. I think it's a, it's a brilliant performance mm-hmm. um, from both. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, it's almost like an actor who can't do the, do the take, right. you know, again. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. That's kind of the feeling I get from it, too. It's like. It's the Margot Robbie Hello College scene from. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's, that, yeah. that's a yeah. good point. Or it's somebody who's worked on a Fincher <laughs> um, movie, basically. It's like, right? <laughs> it's Ben Affleck and Gone yeah. Girl, um, essentially. Right? Um, that's that's what that's my takeaway. Right? It's Ben from Boston, uh, <laughs> and that's that's it. It's uh, you know, um, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat is what I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna take the credits hmm. and the opening scene. Yeah, because it's yeah. sort of like a big. Like elongated, like and it's like everything just. It, it reminded me of the first. I mean, I'd only seen it once, but like when I saw um, the Love Witch. Mm, yeah. Um, where where it's just like, oh, this is like so going for like a look, and it's a. Uh, um, That's a total Jess Franco so, like vibe. Oh, yeah. com- completely. Yeah, for completely. Sure. That's the vibe I get too, and uh, uh, it's like you could smell that movie. You know, it's just like so. Um, sensory mm-hmm. driven, and I feel I feel I felt the same. Like, sensory driven is a great way to one, and, yeah sum up Strickland mm-hmm. as a filmmaker. Very sensory oh, driven, definitely. Um, and especially like seeing this the night after Flux Gourmet, where it's like, what else is like, um, like a like a non horror like version of this filmmaker about? Um, and uh, yeah, really intrigued to see in fabric or barbarian if uh yeah and his very first movie catalan varga is very different Uh it's very raw it's very unpolished Mm. i mean there's still emphasis on on sound for sure but it's it's basically Mm. a a rape revenge movie um oh wow yeah yeah that that does sound like like the like and that's his first movie that kind of feels like something that would be like a little bit more unpolished yeah but if there's something that i did know about him going in it was like a twenty four kind of screwed him with in fabric, if memory serves, because yeah. like twenty eighteen was like a packed year for mm-hmm. them, and they were just like, it's in theaters and then it's right. not right. Like, it just kind of like had no time to like. It was it was late oh, really? twenty eighteen. Yeah, uh, if I believe, I believe, um, but uh, my heart forever belongs to Marianne John Baptiste. Uh, I will say that. Um, oh. <laughs> Uh, Jim, thank you so much for oh, this. Oh, I didn't get my favorite scene. And oh, that's right. You're right. Deli- you're right. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. What's what, what's your favorite? Scene? I thought you literally. I mean, kind of, but no? I just okay. Well, fine. But it's like it, oh. it is like it's oh. the cut. It's the <laughs> cutting. It's basically all the. It's the montage okay. of all the uh, of the, all the moths and stuff. And you could. You. This also throws me off because you usually um, go. First. Good point. Or I'm just like, okay, this like. But and yeah. you know all the. I'm throwing everything off today. That's what. No, I no, no, no. It's not yep. you. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, all the all the Jim's the, a menace. The rapid cuts of the moths and insects and stuff to their bodies laying on the bed, 
Um, I think that's a Ugh. stunning, stunning cut. Um, another, I will say one of the, the, I think one of the early sex scenes, I mean, the kaleidoscope view, uh, I think it was either Cynthia or Evelyn, um, the very, fo- like the focus on, I've already kind of talked about it, the focus on her grabbing the sheets rather than their bodies kind of interacting this almost veil that's covering them at all times. There's mm. this distance to it. It's almost more, it's almost, yeah, like it's this more emotional or spiritual experience rather than physical. Um, and I and I think there's so many things are happening in there and it communicates a lot of great things about characters um, in the way they, you know, in their intimate moments. Um, so yeah, those, I'm just going to say those two because I want to cheat, I guess. Um, but yeah, Jim, thank you so much for coming on. This was an absolute pleasure. <laughs> oh, it sure was yeah. for me too, especially to talk about a movie that I'm just growing to love more and more that I hope people seek out. I, it's funny that to think that this is on Tubi. I'm sure it's on, I'm hoping it's on other streaming services so people can watch it, but it was also on canopy. Oh, cool. Um, I was watching on Tubi, and then I realized it was on Canopy, and I quickly wanted no advertisements. Yeah, uh, that's, that's so that's the story silly for some movies. Like Friday night, yeah. Um, and we, and of course, we should also say by the time that this is out, we'll be on your pod. Hooray! We're going to talk about um, Carl Franklin because he yeah. rules. Yeah. Yes. I think the I think um, yeah I think the four movies we we chose. I mean, one of them's like meh, but I. For the most part, yeah. No, I'm I'm very excited. A very strong, sturdy career. Yes. Someone who's been grave. Uh, yes. One false move. Devil in a blue dress. One true thing. Wait, was it four or five? Now, uh, I'm also doing a high crimes. Oh yes, out of time, yes, yes. But... Out of time for sure. Cool. I guess high yeah. crimes was the one yeah. that was like. Mm. And and, out, out and of high time crimes. Is yeah. So um, good. It's one of which, Denzel's oh most underrated. Oh my god! Movies. I was shocked. Yeah. I was shocked at how much I loved it because mm-hmm. I I really thought it was just like going to be a kind of a throwaway for him and yeah. mm, it's really good. It's really it's really overlooked, um, but also we wanted to just choose someone that was that was um, removed from the 2010s and uh, Carl Franklin had always struck us as someone who who was like just a sturdy hand yeah. and uh, and really gave a sensitive you know touch to. That and Devil in Blue Dress is and, one of my favorite movies. Oh, that too. It's just one of the best. And I feel that. And I feel that way about one. Yeah. yeah, I feel that way about One False Move. Yeah. Like yeah. it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, there's a lot to yeah. say about all of those on Directors Club Podcast over at directorsclubpodcast.com. I look forward to talking with you. Yeah. What is it? In two weeks? Oh yeah. Or is it? A, yeah. yeah, two weeks. Two weeks from Excellent. today. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, thrilled to join you. Great. Um, but if there's anything else that's coming out soon that you'd like to plug, please <sighs> Not do so. a whole lot. I mean, there's just, you know, these couple of, like, weekends, I'm like, I actually gotta go out and do things. I don't wanna just sit around watching movies all day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice out now. I should actually, you know... Where's the fun in that? Yeah. I don't know. I just... <sighs> I don't know. I just want to watch movies all the time. I know. Part of me wants to, too, but then part of me feels guilty sometimes if I'm just watching movies all the time. It's just this weird push and pull relationship. And I think a lot of it has to do with my dad loved to be, you know, like kind of outdoors and do things and make sure he got his exercise. My mom was the complete opposite, just wanted to stay home and watch soap operas all day. And so there's this feeling of like, I just want to stay home and watch my stories, 
quote unquote, which is really just the Criterion channel. Um, but I also feel compelled to like, I should go out and actually do things and, you know, go to the park or the beach or the, I don't know. It's such a weird feeling sometimes where it's like, I can't decide which I should do or want to do more than the other. Most of the time it does just end up me being watching, like, you know, binging on a show. I just start watching the new season of Black Mirror and the Bear season two is on. I'm just like, oh crap. I'm s- Why do they put this out there <laughs> when the good weather's going on? You know, right. they just they, they, right. they just know how to sucker me in all over again. So I got to do that. But what's good is like there's like so many others that that we've slowly but surely made friends with that understand that yes. dilemma. And it's like, all right, well at least like other people are feeling the same. But I know I feel less I alone. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, thanks, man, for coming by the pod. Yeah, and uh, I I can be found on Twitter at Jack A Draper and on Letterbox at the same. Um, my writing on film is at the Boston Hassle. By the time this is out. My review for The Wicker Man, one of my favorite movies ever, will be out. Um, and uh, what is coming up? I think I'm going to save the announcement for next episode. Okay. Ooh, tease. Yeah. And uh, uh, this this movie is also available on Tubi and Canopy, like we said. Uh, for At least for me. It could be on other places. No, Just, I mean, it's not, it was on uh, Canopy for me uh, as well. Um, yeah. oh, Canopy yeah. always comes in clutch. Everyone follow me at Birds of Clay on Twitter and Mr. Clay Williams on Instagram and Birds of Clay on Letterboxd. If you follow me on Twitter, it's going to be a lot of basketball tweets for the next week or so. Just just prepare yourselves. (laughs) I I feel like I have to – in a month, it's going to cool down, and I'll tweet about other Uh things in the world. If it's a graph, it's like reaching its peak right now. It's the NBA draft. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Welcome, Bilal Kulabali, to Mm -hmm. the Washington Wizards. Uh, beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful pick. Eighteen-year-old athletic wing. Mm-hmm. We love you. To, we we loved it. You have a Absolutely. French flag in the we background love to have right you on now, the team. and, I'm, and it's looking great about the French. Yeah, yeah. We're all set. Um, no. You can follow the podcast Twitter account at ETT Pod. You can send us an email at exitmovie2010s at gmail Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, uh, retweet, share us with a friend, run up to someone in the middle of the street, ask if they want to, if they want to be your human toilet, and say, "Just kidding," and say, "Actually, I want you to go listen to Exiting Through the 2010s," and then run away. And Directors Absolutely. Club, listen to yeah, them. listen to them both. Absolutely, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, um, not at the same time. That might get confusing, but yeah, that might be a little annoying. Yeah, uh, and as always, we'll catch you next time on Exiting Through the 2010s. Mm-hmm.